you ask, if you ask the average uh, evangelical Christian person, um, so by that I mean it could be a Baptist person or a Methodist person or a Pentecostal person uh, belonging to those types of traditions, uh, do you believe uh, in uh, the assurance of salvation, that the Bible teaches that? Um, many will say yes. Uh, many will say, uh, you know, First John 5, uh, I write these things to you that you may know. I have memorized that one because over the years I've used it many times uh, to uh, encourage believers to be mindful of their security, their eternal security rests in Christ. And so you may know that as a believer now. You don't have to wait till you go to heaven, till you die to find out what the outcome is of it all. Um, there will be many evangelical believers who officially don't believe in the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, but who will say, yes, uh, in the moment, um, I have that sentiment that I, and, it's, and it goes back again to this idea of I choose to, I choose to believe such and such that they will agree with this, this doctrine, but they cannot agree if you press them on the fact that it is a certainty beyond doubt, that it is a certainty that is inherent in God's word and its promissory nature rather than in that believer's sentiment of the moment. Um, so the authors of this doctrine, the, we call them the fathers of Dort sometimes, um, these, these guys in the long robes, long beards, um, that gathered together in 16, 18, 19, um, they had a very specific purpose in writing this last chapter because officially the remonstrance, and the, or sometimes called the Arminians, right? They were doubting this doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. Um, and so with that, um, and you notice that in the reading that we just did in these two articles, that they were robbing the Christian of a very important comfort. Um, and, um, and the comfort is, of course, that the salvation in Christ is linked with this truth that those who believe in Christ, therefore and thereby, have the assurance of their salvation. So this was a really intentional, deliberate answer, and the ones that are following, uh, to these um, claims made by the remonstrance that uh, people can fall away from their salvation and to such a degree that they eternally have fallen away um, and have lost their salvation. That is what's being countered in the, all these uh, various articles. Um, and now this idea of the assurance of salvation is introduced in that whole discussion. Um, election is not a sentiment. Uh, your assurance of salvation is not primarily a sentiment. I feel that I'm saved uh, because feelings are not gospel. Uh, feelings are human. Uh, feelings are important. Uh, I think sometimes we have intellectualized the Christian faith to the point where you say, well, it's all head, but where's the heart? So I'm, I'm recognizing that God has made us with feelings 
and they are used to his glory, but we don't put our weight of trust in our feelings because one day I feel this way and tomorrow I might feel the opposite way. Um, but that was already a beginning argument, like I said, against the Arminians who were saying, no, there is no eternal security. Uh, there's no eternal assurance of salvation. It is uh, dependent on the moment in which you choose to believe or not that you are a child of God. So election, as we read it, um, the title says, uh, not based on foreseen, um, wait a minute, make sure I'm on the right page. That was chapter one. Okay, here we go. The assurance of this preservation. Okay. So, um, does every Christian have a complete sense of being assured? Um, that's not what this confession demands. The confession recognizes that among God's true people, those who are truly saved, that there are those who have a weaker faith and a stronger faith. But as it points out, it's still the faith itself that by its own definition is confident of something. So I may, on that sort of emotional level, have a sense like, you know, I don't feel that God is as close to me right now because of this situation or that. Um, I may feel that I'm on the top of the mountain spiritually, and maybe you know, uh, another moment I'm in the valley. Uh, but as a believer, I still believe. And even in the weakness of, in the moment of weakness of faith, of small faith, you might call it, it's still faith. It's still biblical faith. Biblical faith that says, Lord, I don't feel it. I am kind of feeling like a cloud above me that I don't see things and hear you well through your word. And my prayer life is not as, as intimate and, and lively. Um, but I know that you are mine. I know that in Christ you have given me salvation through the cross. And so it's an honest recognition that despite these differences among believers, that the faith that we possess is a gift from God, and if it's from God, it is a saving faith. Um, and I think that this is also why we assemble as God's people, because we're not all on the mountaintop all the time. We are, not, we are, we are assembling to give God glory. We are called to worship, not you know, him. But as we fellowship, as we get to know one another, there's also this sense that we are encouraging the weak versus the, the, the stronger are helping the weak. Um, and again, I have to be careful that you don't misunderstand me. Uh, the, the Apostle Paul talks about the strong and the weak in the church of Corinth. Um, I don't mean it in that sense, where you have the mature in the faith who have a deeper biblical knowledge who can then come alongside those who just have less of that. But I mean that the person who has known God for the longest time among us can have a moment or a season of weakness. And so we're assembled together 
to give each other the encouragement that all of us need to press on in the faith, to persevere. And again, why do we persevere? Because God perseveres with you. That's what I think the, is meant by the word preservation. God preserves that decision, that will of his to elect some and not others, but to nevertheless to preserve those he has chosen, he has called to the gospel to believe in his son, Jesus Christ. He preserves our often weak faith, um, and we can have the assurance that we will not fall away. Um, when we get to heaven, none of us will ever say, it's because I didn't fall away. <laughs> because I didn't fall away because you preserved me. You will always get the glory, Lord. You will always get the praise that any of us will be in the presence of the Lord when that day comes. And so if you go then next to Article 10, where it talks then about the ground of that assurance. And again, it is not some feeling that we can have um, that goes this way or that way. Uh, as it puts it here, it is an assurance does not, this assurance does not derive from some private revelation beyond or outside the word, but from faith in the promises of God, which he has very plentifully revealed in his word for our comfort from the testimony, and it uses the phrase from Romans 8, of the Holy Spirit testifying with our spirit that we are God's children and heirs. So where does the Reformed perspective puts the anchor of this belief in the assurance? It's not in private revelations. And by the way, this is a direct response in its historical context. It's a direct response, if not attack, towards the remonstrance. And, you know, others beyond them, um, farther back a few years during the time of Luther and Calvin, the Anabaptists, uh, who, who would almost sideline the place and usefulness of the Bible because they talked about the inner light, um, and that was enough for them to know what to do on a given day. Uh, they, don't need, they didn't need the Bible. Not all of them did, saw it that way. Menno Simons, for example, was totally not of that persuasion. He was probably the, one of the more uh, most biblical uh, folks in that camp. But uh, the Reformed perspective is you base, you anchor your hope of salvation, which is a firm hope, a gospel hope, in the word of God. But it uses then also another, and the word is ground. And the ground is not basis, but it is uh, like uh, understood as an argument. Um, there are, there are, there's the word of God, and then it says, and finally, from a serious and holy pursuit of a clear conscience and of good works. So if you ask yourself about the sense of salvation you have, the assurance of salvation, um, you anchor that, you place it in the word of God exclusively. And then in God's providence, I would say, God also uses the fact that by his spirit, he gives you a serious desire to pursue holiness and having thereby a clear conscience and also of good works. So the reformed don't contradict each other, uh, themselves. Now we know that uh, they were pretty, you know, they knew what they were doing when they wrote this down. So they're not contradicting themselves when they introduce good works. But what they are saying is 
that when you look at yourself, and we're called by the Bible to examine ourselves, am I in the faith? Don't be afraid of that question. Uh, when we partake of communion uh, next Sunday in our new place, um, this week you ought to examine yourselves. And not in some kind of endless uh, you know, uh, introspection that loses all sight of God's word and promises, but it is a moment for us to realize that we can't take things for granted being a follower of Jesus. So I'm going to put my trust in, I'm going to express my trust in the finished work of Christ, but how does that show in my life? Is that verifiable in my life? Are the fruit of the new life in Christ in me? Um, and, so there, and so that can become, for the Christian, an encouragement to see, yes, despite my human sinfulness, my weakness, I know that that is also um, a manifestation of the new life in Christ in me, that I have the passion and the desire to pursue holiness, to pursue um, uh, the, the, uh, of a clear conscience and good works. So that would be the Reformed uh, response as well to uh, both the, um, well, to the remonstrants who are arguing with these people and, and others uh, in the, in the mid late medieval church period um, who had different views on the place and purpose of good works. Uh, good works serve to illustrate. Uh, good works serve to confirm that I am in Christ, a born again, newborn person, um, and it is all by the grace of God and by the grace of God alone. I'm going to stop right here and see if there are any questions that you may have. I, if you have a copy of the Cans of Dort, I do invite you and encourage you to uh, uh, dig, uh, read, not dig into, but to read the rejection of errors as well. Um, I, I think probably in the whole Reformed community, 1% of Reformed believers have ever read that. Uh, we sort of ignore that. But in the rejection of errors, you also get a lot of biblical information uh, to support the claims that are made. Joel. Not to my knowledge. So they came very organized with the five articles to which this is the response. But then uh, the chairman, Bogerman, um, he got so fed up with the remonstrance, he said uh, in Latin, get out of here. Enough, go away. Uh, because they were just slowing down the whole process um, they thought that they would be given the platform to, you know, to, 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 to highlight their views and have discussion and debate. And what, no, it was going to be a synod in which these things were going to be judged by the synod. And all they basically could do is if called upon defend themselves, but that was it. Uh, so when they were just slowing things down, um, they were uh, expelled. They were expelled from the synod and they were... Uh, 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 also 
uh, called not to leave the city, because in those days, state and church things were intertwined to such a point that if you had the particular type of city council in support, let's say, of the Synod of Dort, then these people could be fined and imprisoned even. Um, and so we know from the records that a whole bunch of them uh, ignored that and they fled because of that situation. They didn't want to be imprisoned. Um, but in about 30, 40 years, things under a different uh, prince in the Netherlands, Maurits, uh, he, they were tolerated to come back and uh, pretty soon, in fact, uh, were able to have their own seminary. Um, but they were not uh, giving another organized response to the synod. They were, uh, they were Reformed pastors in the local uh, Dutch Reformed churches, uh, and some were teachers at the University of Leiden, for example. Um, but uh, So they were not delegates to the synod. Yeah. Yes, I think I'm right on that. Was there another uh, part of your question, or was that the question? Okay. How it, yeah, 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 it was, it was a dangerous time, very, very, uh, things could have gone really badly for the Reformed faith had, uh, had that uh, remonstrant position been approved, um, because what you actually ended up uh, getting historically is that some of these people just became uh, rationalists, um, like you see uh, in Poland, uh, for example, where um, uh, people become um, uh, Unitarian, basically, theologically. They deny the Trinity, and, uh, yeah. so, but that's another story. Uh, did you have a thing? Did I see another hand come up? Okay. All right, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace once again. Thank you that we cannot take it for granted. We thank you that you are faithful in your promise, that you will preserve us, that you will enable us, empower us to persevere so that we can on a day-to-day -day basis know in a faith sense, not a rationalistic sense, but in a faith, biblical faith way, that we are yours and we are yours forever and that you will keep us in the palm of your hand so that we will never fall away. Lord, we pray that we will not ignore the sin that is in our lives, that we would repent of that. Uh, but thank you, Lord, that, we, that, our, that our eternal outcome uh, is, is guaranteed because of your love and your faithfulness in Christ and him alone. Hear our prayer, we pray, for his sake. Amen.